Thank you, worship team, and and good morning again, everyone. I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible or device, to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, if you could find that. And to all of our guests, welcome. It's great to have you here at Woodside with us today. Today is the last day, the last message in our six-week sermon series called The Search. We're finishing up the book of Ecclesiastes. If you read it, say, oh, this book is kind of a bit depressing, but when you understand the bigger picture, it is full of hope. And I hope you have been during this six-week series encouraged at times, challenged at times, and uh, comforted even at times. Ecclesiastes, the teacher, the preacher, gathers the students and he wants to talk to them about life, and he wants to talk to us about life. And for 11 chapters of this sermon, he's been sharing about his search under the sun in a world apart from God, without God. There's no God that exists. Secular view that's prevalent today in our culture. In that particular context, he says, life is, what's the word? Oh, you guys are speaking Hebrew already. Okay, meaningless, right? It's meaningless. The Hebrew word is hevel. Good for you, right? It's just like you go through life and your life is hevel. It's a a puff of smoke. You're here today, gone tomorrow. Your life is brief. And it's also um, elusive, this, this idea of meaning and purpose and substance. You just can't get it. And so for his sermon, he's been talking to us about life under the sun, that it's meaningless. He's been talking to us about chasing uh, after the wind, can't catch it. We use the the illustration, uh, uh, chasing carrots. So someone's holding out a carrot on a stick, and uh, we're just chasing one more step, and we'll find meaning. One more step, and we'll find happiness. And so uh, he says, uh, don't bother chasing. I've done it all. Uh, nothing is found under the sun. Similarly, 3,000 years later, our culture paints a, are very skillful at painting a compelling picture that your needs, like meaning and happiness, can be found under the sun. You just need to do this, buy this, go here, become this, and then you'll find happiness and you'll find meaning in your life. And Solomon would say, that's not true. You won't. And now as he concludes his sermon, he's going to lift up the curtain fully for us to see God, and he's going to say, the best life is not chasing after the wind. The best life is preparing to meet your maker. And he's going to share three imperatives, three callings on you and I as to what that looks like and so that we prepare to meet our maker. And in particular, he's going to talk to young people, okay? So if you're under 60 like me, you're a young person, okay? Actually, those of you 20 and 20 in your 20s and under, he was speaking specifically to you. And to that end, let me just kind of set up the context and then we'll get into, into chapter 12. Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, was a third king of Israel. After his father, uh, David, King David, died, he took the throne somewhere around 935 B.C., so about 3,000 years ago, in the Middle East, in a nation called Israel. Uh, Bible scholars say he was about 18, maybe 19 or so when he took the throne. Josephus, uh, who was a a Jewish writer writing for the Romans, uh, so an extra-biblical source, he pegs 
Solomon at about 14 years of age when he takes the throne. Either way, he was a young king, asked God for wisdom. God gives him wisdom, and he studies the different disciplines of life. He writes uh, many proverbs. He composes music. He's a wise king. But in time, he looks around at the other kings, the pagan kings, and they all had harems. And so he then wants to have women in his life. And we're told in 1 Kings 11 that he married uh, uh, women that were Edomites, Ammonites, Hittites, who all had foreign gods. And in 1 Kings 11, we're told that his heart was turned away from God to all of these other gods. He left the God who he knew. And for years, he lived his life under the sun, no God in his life, and Ecclesiastes is his journal. He writes it at an old age, and he's saying to the young people in particular, don't do what I did, because you can spend your whole life without God, but you're going to find yourself empty in the end. Instead, live this way. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, he ends his sermon this way. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Here's how you live your life. You remember your creator. Now in chapters 10 and 11, just before this, actually throughout the book, he's been analyzing life under the sun, but he'll throw in Proverbs from time to time. Here's some advice for you, and uh, we might call them ancient tweets, if you will, and if you follow the threads of some of these tweets, uh, they're about work, they're about wisdom, and they're about enjoying life. If you've read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find on a number of occasions, he says, listen, in the midst of this messed up world, Enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Go have a cup of coffee. Go for a walk for a friend. Learn to find joy in those things. And so for the young people, find joy when you're young. Explore life. Enjoy his gifts. But take your, your, your faith seriously. Remember your creator. Don't be deluded thinking that life is about you, that it revolves around you. It's about your creator. And he could have chosen a number of words to refer to God. When you're reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, right, you find a number of names and titles for God. He chooses creator because it, it speaks of the one who is majestic, powerful, sovereign, the one who rules over all. Young people, let him rule over your life. Every day, you're remembering God. He's in your life. He's really the most important thing in your life life. And he says to do that because the days of trouble are going to come. The days when you say, I really don't find a lot of pleasure in them. He's saying to you young people, and I'm always looking over here, okay, young people, he says, I hate to break it to you, but you're going to get old. You really are, and you're going to die. Now, I remember back when I was in my 20s, it was a foreign concept, right? Old age, going to die. But it's true. Look at me now. <laughs> this week, my wife said to me, 
I think the word of the year for you, uh, often, you know, as we look ahead at a new calendar year, we choose one word to focus on. I think, I think the year for you this year will be health. <laughs> and I think I've mentioned, I hate talking about my health. I really, really do. And why did she say that? Because we just returned from the doctors and there's some lesions and they're doing skin tests on my, on my body and my skin. And then uh, I have been in pain this last year with my lower back uh, at times. Just, I was shoveling the driveway just a little bit, like a little couple flakes of snow. Boom, acted up. I'm out of commission for like a month. Uh, then I've got this, this thumb that I think is an old hockey injury and there's pain in my back, pain there. I kid you not. Pain in one of my uh, teeth with a crown. I had to go to the doctor and get an antibiotic or whatever it is, and then it still has got pain. Another tooth of mine that I lost playing hockey uh, uh, is shifting and moving forward, and diverticulitis. I have a bout with that. Like, I'm just like, I, was, I came to the point where I was like, really, Lord? Like, really? I said to my wife, when she said that your word of the year, I said, listen, Lord willing, when I'm 80, that'll be my word of the year. <laughs> Someone has said, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. Everybody? Right? Young people, before you need a key fob to find your car in the parking lot, before... Where did I park my car, right? Before you start repeating yourself, remember your creator. Keep him front and center while you're able. Live for him. And then Solomon, he then shares this aging process with the young people. And uh, if you've read this uh, chapter, you're like, what's he talking about here? He's using poetic a poetic description to describe the aging process because he wants to give dignity to those that are older like himself. So let's translate his poetry here, speaking of the old age that comes for all of us. So remember your creator, before, and that's the key word, before the sun and the light, verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Have you ever been at a party and you're the last one to turn out the lights and you're going click, click, click? That's the image here. Remember your creator before the lights start to go out. Okay, verse 3. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. Remember your creator before the keepers of the house, uh, your arms, before, as an old person, they become not as strong as they used to be. They tremble. Uh, before your strong men stoop, probably a reference to your legs and, and, and stooping and bent over, before your legs are, are not as strong as they used to be. Uh, and then when the grinders cease because they are few, what, what's he talking about there, someone? Teeth, right, okay. Before your teeth are fewer, right? And you have trouble chewing. Uh, and those looking through the windows grow dim, he's talking about, right? Dim eyesight, right? Before your sight, your eyesight is not as good as it used to be. Before all these challenges, remember your creator. He continues. When the doors to the street are closed 
Uh, verse 4, when the doors of the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, uh, before you have trouble hearing, right, the sound of grinding fades, uh, uh, before you have trouble sleeping, uh, when people rise up at the sound of birds, how many here, or you're over 50, and you sleep through the night? Can I see your name? Okay. <laughs> you do not get another Christmas present this year. That's, that's your gift from God. All right, that's it. But all their songs grow faint. Um, before you have trouble speaking, your vocal cords become weaker. Uh, verse 5, when tr- people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, sometimes as you, you get older, uh, your fears can kind of get a, a grip on you where you're, fear- you're fearful, not just of heights and, and going out, but fearing of like falling down, fearing of getting sick, fear of being able to take care of yourself or someone has to take care of you before those fears. Uh, when the almond tree blossoms, what's he talking about there? Gray hair, white hair, right, exactly, right, before that comes. And the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer stir before your desires wane and uh, before uh, you're a dragging grass, grasshopper. Don't you love that image? Right? How many of you have seen a bouncing grasshopper? You know, bounce, bounce. How many, how many of you have seen a, like a dragging one? I don't know. Even... <laughs> right? My kids are always asking for the latest dance move. There it is. <laughs> Drag it before you have less energy, and it's just hard getting around. Uh, verse 6, remember him. Before the silver cord is severed, your spinal cord, and the golden bowl is broken, referring to your skull, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, pitcher drying up, referring to your lungs, and the wheel broken at the well, referring to your heart, kind of pumping the body, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Before all of these things set in, and your life becomes more challenging, remember your creator. And it's interesting this last little bit here where he talks about dust returning to the ground, he's taking us back to where? Back to Genesis, to the creation account. Dust of the ground, God speaks life. You're, you are material and immaterial as a human being. That's creation here. This really is decreation. Death is the unmaking of a person. So Solomon, before this all starts to, to unmake, and then he says uh, in verse 8, meaningless meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. If life is just about being born, getting old, and dying, it is meaningless. Before he fully brings up the curtain, he's going to share about his teaching, about his um, sermon. He's going to talk to us about the book of Ecclesiastes, And he says this in the beginning of verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, so referring to himself, some people believe maybe an editor came in at this point. Uh, I I believe it was Solomon, but not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. My teaching is wise, My teaching is orderly. I've searched and set it in order. Interesting, and he's not simply talking on a surface level that, you know, I 
I shared with you this search and this search and this search, but you'll find this as you study books of the Bible. The writers often use patterns and sequences to get their point across. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's 222 verses, and the first 111 are investigating life under the sun. The last 111 are uh, teaching us how to live under the sun. So he says it's, it's been an orderly account. Uh, I've chosen the right words. It's been an artistic account. Uh, it's been upright. There's an intellectual integrity about it. It's true. And then it's also motivational. Look what he says beginning in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. These words are like goads. A goad or an ox goad is a metal tip on the end of a handle used to move cattle along or used to be used to move cattle along, right? The cattle would be stationary and to get them moving in the right direction. He says, my teaching, I know it's been hard for you and painful, talking about uncertainty in your life, talking about death in your life, but my purpose is, is to move you along to move you to the right direction. And notice he talks about uh, referring to the one shepherd uh, to himself. Some believe that's also a reference to God. And then he says, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there is no end. He's not saying you can't read many books. He's saying, please understand that the many books are not like this book. That's what we say about all of God's words, scripture. Many books, you can read them, but they're not like this book, the Bible. And don't add anything to them. Everything from these many books is to be measured against this book. And then he closes with this. And much study wearies the body. And all of our students said, got it, okay. Verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. I've been talking to you about life under the sun and telling you how meaningless it is, but now I want you to hear what life is all about. This is the conclusion. This is, notice he says, the duty of all mankind. Duty is not in the Hebrew, in your Bibles, English Bibles, you might have little quotations around there. It's, this is the whole of mankind. This is the essence of why you're alive as a human being. Okay, this is for everyone, all mankind, why you're alive. Fear God and keep his commandments. So the second step or calling as we go through life preparing to meet God is to remember our creator. He's in our mind every day. And then secondly, we fear him. Fear God. Now, hear me out here. or hear, Let's talk about this. A healthy fear of God depends on a healthy view of God. If you don't have the right view of God, you won't have the right fear of God. Lots of churches today don't talk about the fear of God anymore. Why? Well, for because if you look back years ago, God was misrepresented in churches. The God that was lifted up was a God who was always angry, a God who was vindictive, who was vengeful, who every day went to the Woodside Cafe and there was no regular coffee. It was all flavored. Like, he was just like, what? And he just, he wanted to get somebody. That's the God, that's the God that was presented. And often that God was presented that way as a way to control people, to shame people, Oh, you better get right if you want God 
not to get you. Friends, we reject that. That is not the God who is. And so the fear of God has in many ways been thrown out. But the fear of God is a beautiful thing. It's why you were made. You were made to fear your creator. When you, want a, or you look for a healthy view of God from Scripture, you see his greatness. He is our creator. He's majestic, supreme, powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, all of those things. But yet he is also good. He is loving, merciful, gracious, forgiving. And when you have both of those things, you've got a full picture of who God is. You have the right view of God. So instead of going through life fearing God and you can't get close to him, you have a God who is like, you made me to worship you. I'm going to fear you. But when you're not perfect and you struggle and you blow it again and again and again, you don't like wonder, is God going to like me? You go, he's got his arms open, and so you draw near to him. It's called repentance. I did this again, Lord, forgive me, and I turn to you. That's the Christian life. It's, you're constantly going to this God, and this fear of God says, I want to live a holy, righteous life. I want to be more like Jesus, but when I fail, I'm not turning away from him. I'm turning to him, and in time, spiritual growth will happen where you say, I'm just tired of the sin. I don't want to be jealous anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. What do I do? And so that's how we move towards this God. But fear of God is a beautiful thing. And if you're new to the Christian faith or you're investigating the Christian faith, I want to encourage you to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the four Gospels about Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. Come to us. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And you'll find throughout those accounts of his life You'll find glimpses of his greatness, and you'll find glimpses of his goodness. And when you find both of those things, you fall on your knees, and you fear him, and you worship him. Uh, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is out on the boat with some of his uh, disciples. It's been a long day teaching, and so they cross the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Lake Genesaret is another term for it, Sea of Tiberias. So when you're reading your Bible, a number of terms, uh, terms describing this lake. But they cross the Sea of Galilee. A squall comes up, which is common in that area. A squall comes up, and there's, a, there's uh, a storm. And so there's water going into this little boat. And uh, Jesus, after a long day, is at the back of the boat. He's tired. He's asleep. And they turn to him, and they say, like, don't you care if we drown? So they wake him up. And after uh, speaking to them, he says to the wind and the waves, be still be calm. And the wind died down, and it was calm. And it's interesting, their response to Jesus. It wasn't like, whew, we thought we were going like to lose our lives. That was so awesome, Jesus. Thank you. No, it says that fear filled their hearts. And they turned to each other, and they said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And during his earthly ministry, you get these little glimpses into the power, the sovereignty, the rule of Jesus. But yet you also get glimpses of his goodness. On another occasion, Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus is teaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. 
and the crowds are big, so he decides to go. There's two empty boats. He decides to go into one of the boats belonging to Peter, steps, uh, gets into the boat, and they go offshore a bit so he can talk to the crowd. After he's done teaching, he turns to Peter, says, Peter, could you put the boat out just a little deeper? Uh, I'd like to throw the nets down for a, for a catch of fish. Peter was a fisherman, uh, and he said, uh, uh, Master, and you can imagine what's going through his mind, uh, I fish, you're the carpenter. But he says, nevertheless, because you say so, I will. Puts down the nets. Big catch of fish, so big, so many fish, they have to call the second boat to come and help. And then Peter gets to his knees, and he says to Jesus, he says, depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. I've just got a glimpse of your greatness in you don't know who I am. I'm not perfect. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you're going to, in a sense, you're going to follow me, and you're not going to just simply fish for uh, fish anymore. You're going to fish for men. And Peter was able to draw close to Jesus. People that were marginalized, poor, sinners, disenfranchised, they all were invited to draw near to Jesus. When you understand who Jesus is, you have the right view of him, the right view of God. You will fear him. You will worship him. You will love him. You will serve him. The fear of God really is an unmatched reverence for God in your life. That you hold him in the highest sacred regard. That he alone is worthy of your worship. You're not caught up in some little celebrity, some little musician, and woo, look at them, I want their autograph. You know, no. You're caught up only with God. Fear God, Solomon says. And then he says, keep his commandments. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Now when you're fearing God, and you're trying to keep his commandments, it's such a good thing. When you've got a big God, everybody else is small. You want a healthy life? God is big, people are small. You want an unhealthy life? God is small, people are big. Because when God is big, you can concentrate on him, and you don't have to worry about that person that intimidates you, that person, you know, you're trying to get them to like you, and all of those things. You're focused on that God and obeying him. It puts all of your other fears in the proper place. It's this constant calling on our lives. Hey, obey God. Jesus said it this way in John 14. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. And he'll go on to say, if you, those who do not uh, love me, do not obey me. Now again, God's not calling you to be perfect because you won't be perfect, but he's calling you to turn from doing things the ways of the world and sometimes according to our fallen nature and instead have faith to do it God's way. Uh, John, one of those disciples of Jesus, said it this way in 1 John 5, this is love for God, to keep his commands. God, I love you and I want to obey you. And then John adds... And his commands are not burdensome. So we ask the question, why are God's commands not burdensome? When you have the right view of God, you realize his commands are not a heavy burden. Oh, I've got to obey God. I'm young. I want to go out and get drunk. I want to sleep with everybody. They're not burdensome. 
you find that God's commands are good. They're good for you. When you live and you obey God, it will go better for you. The God who designed you knows what's best for you and wants the best for you, so you learn to obey Him, learn to do it His way. So when He says forgive, studies show forgiveness is a good thing. You want to be healthy? You forgive. So when He says give, give of your time, give of your money, it's a good thing. Studies show it's a good thing. You see, God doesn't want you bitter at people, harboring unforgiveness. He doesn't want you stingy and always discontent. All of His commands are for our good, for His glory and for our good. And the journey, as we journey through life, that's together. Why we come to church every Sunday, why we're in life group, while we're uh, um, uh, opening our Bibles, is that we want to learn more and more of these commands because, I don't know about you, I want a better marriage. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a, a better leader. All of those things are connected to his commands and health. Can I get a witness? Anybody else? Ready to go on? Okay. You're not perfect, but you're like, okay, God, I want to obey you. Solomon ends his sermon with these words. Fear God, or for God, will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So, life under the sun is meaningless. Oh, there's no God. Oh, actually, there is a God. It's all about Him. And because He's holy, He has to judge sin. Because He loves people, He has to judge it, right? You can't mistreat people. People, and look at the news today, you can't just do what people are doing around our world and get away with it. No, he's going to bring everything into judgment. Two judgments in Scripture uh, in Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment, and then 2 Corinthians 5, um, the judgment seat of Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. But you're not going to be judged for what you did wrong, because all of that was judged on the cross. When Jesus died for you, he died for every single last little one of your sins. And that's why you wake up every day and you're just like, I'll praise to him. What you're going to be judged for is what you do right. It's going to be time of reward and loss of reward, but it's time of reward. It's something to look forward to. If you've given a, a cup of cold water in his name, you're helping out in the church uh, with kids or, or uh, with our special needs adults. Uh, you're baking things in the name of the Lord. You're doing all of these things. You're maybe traveling somewhere in the name of the Lord. Whatever you're doing, you're not going to outgive God. Jesus said in Revelation 22, I'm coming, and I'm coming with my reward. And yeah, I know you're going to be with me for all eternity, and that's the most wonderful thing, but I'm going to reward you. Not sure what that looks like. Probably just a deeper capacity to enjoy God. Not sure. But that means everything in your life matters how you work, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you treat your, life, your neighbor. If you're living for the glory of God, every time you're doing something for him, he remembers that thing. So this is not really a threat, but rather it's a notification. Live your life for what matters. So young people, remember your creator, fear God, and keep his commandments. That psalmist says, don't do like I did. It all comes empty. Live for God. To those that are uh, older than 20, some of us 
uh, older than that, especially some of you that are uh, even older and online. We have a number of, of, of seniors that can't get out because of mobility issues. I want to remind you of the Word of God and when it comes to old age. Uh, just a few things. First, you are loved by God. Billy Graham said that old age, particularly I think of people in their 90s, old age is not for sissies. There's challenges. Right now, 2020, it just came out that the average Canadian can expect uh, just over a decade of poor physical and mental health. Uh, and as you get older, it's not for sissies. You are loved. Uh, you can still bear fruit in old age, as the psalmist said. You may not be able to teach like you once taught or, or help out behind the scenes setting up chairs, but you can maybe still pray. God can still use you to maybe share an encouraging word with someone in the midst of your pain. God's still got a purpose for you. Uh, I want to remind you that there's strength available from God. As Paul said, outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Oh, these limitations, and it's hard to accept them, but oh, I gotta, I've got a hope in Jesus. I'm holding to his promises. And folks, please realize, old people, you've got that hope that one day you will be renewed finally and fully. The day when Christ returns and your spirit will be reunited with your body, you'll have a glorified body for all eternity. Can you imagine that? Because of Jesus, your life is not hevel. Your life, you do not labor in vain, and you've got a glorious future that awaits you. And then for the person or the persons here who do not know Jesus, he's holding out his arms to you, and he's inviting you to believe that he came to this world to die on a cross so that you can have your sins forgiven, you can be made right with God, and you can live the life you were meant to live. Live with him for all eternity. Uh, this uh, I was reading um, about the Methuselah Foundation, anybody Methuselah Foundation, and uh, they vowed that by the year 2030, that 90 would be the new 50. I'm like, hurry up, hurry up, 2030's coming. And then I was reading about some biohackers in Toronto, these people who are taking all the wellness stuff we hear about all the time. And, and by the way, we want to take care of our bodies. So, but all the wellness stuff and, and all the gadgetry that we have available and how they put it together. And so there's this club in Toronto that you can join where you, they have like a, what do they call that thing? Uh, some, uh, where you get this electromagnetic pulse, right? You soak up these charges or whatever, and then you, you drink this and, and you know... Again, I hate talking about health, but anyway, um, <laughs> you do all of that, and, and they're hoping that you can maybe extend your life to, they say, 120, 120 years. Uh, there's a challenge, though. The membership, lifetime membership is $100,000, so uh, it's kind of steep price to get in, right? Under the sun, we can, it's all there is here, let's pay the 100000 bucks. The reality above the sun, there's eternal life with the sun. And he says to all of us, I invite you, come to me, live with me.